Basically, there are parallel universes, just like our world, but just infinite variations of it. Which means there's a world out there where none of this tragic stuff ever happened. Yeah, that's not what we're talking about. Oh. We were thinking of more of an evil dimension, like the Veil of Shadows. You know the Veil of Shadows? Echo of the material plane where necrotic and shadow magic. Yeah, exactly. If that did exist, a place like the Veil of Shadows, how would we travel there, theoretically? Well... Picture an acrobat standing on a tightrope. Now, the tightrope is our dimension, and our dimension has rules. You can move forwards or backwards. But what if right next to our acrobat, there is a flea? Now, the flea can also travel back and forth, just like the acrobat, right? Right. Here's where things get really interesting. The flea can also travel this way along the side of the rope. He can even go underneath the rope. Upside down. Hey everybody, I'm Rima. And I'm Sean. And this is Strange Indeed, a podcast dedicated to the show Stranger Things. Today we will be covering the fifth episode from season one titled... Chapter 5, The Flea and the Acrobat. Well, I don't know about you, Sean, but I am so ready to jump into our top five. This one was full of some pretty awesome stuff, so what do you say we get started? Let's do it. I'm so excited to talk about this episode. Yeah, so good. Um, Okay, well, I'll start, because you're so nice to always let the lady go first, <laughs> and I'm just going to on, on the odd in. episodes, I'll let you jump in first. I know. You're <laughs> such a gentleman. <laughs> So I'm going to start off my number five, um, the cold open. And it's it's not so much this episode. I think that for me, all the cold opens for every episode so far has been so good. They, they really, I think, have a great way to really draw you in. And there's not very many shows that have those really good cold opens. Um, Breaking Bad was really great with a cold open, The X-Files. Oh my gosh, I thought it was so masterful at the cold opens. Um, and of course, you know, The Walking Dead always does a great job as well. And I think that um, the Duffer Brothers and um, other writers on this show do such a fantastic job to really kind of draw you in almost exactly where you left off, you know, the previous episode and just, you know, pull you in like you are not getting your butt up out of that seat for that, you know, for that um, after the cold opens over and for that intro to play. Um, you're staying right there because you're like, holy crap, what's going on? So I, I really liked it. You know, we get to see Hopper. You know, he has, you know, we left him uh, the last episode. He was, you could see he brought like some bolt cutters or whatever those things are called to get through that fence um, there at that facility. And so he's snuck in. Um, he's made his way into the facility and, you know, he's trying to find his way around. And I thought he did a, did a pretty good job. I'd probably be completely lost in that place. And I really liked when he laughed. He made a face um, at the, the biohazard. Oh, yeah. yeah, that biohazard garden. He kind of made this face like, oh, yeah. you know, what the hell well, am I getting into? <laughs> I'm already here, so let's get contaminated. <laughs> exactly. No turning back now. He's He's made it this far. Um, and then, of course, you know, we get the security guys. He punches that one guy. I was really kind of surprised. I mean, on my initial watch and then again, um, watching it this time around this year, uh, you know, I thought, oh, my gosh, you know, he's 
I mean, he, he's not going to kill him. I don't think Hopper's that guy or anything like that, but that he was so bold to, you know, he's trying to talk his way out of it. That's not working. Um, so he punches the one guy and holds a gun to the other guy and steals his badge. Um, I was like, oh, well, I don't know how far he thinks he's going to get. Obviously, he knows that this, you know, that guy's going to wake up. The other one's going to call for backup. You know, something's going to happen. Um, and he knows it, but he's still, I think, hoping to see whatever he needs to see to figure out what the hell is going on because he knows something is happening there. Um, I really like how he thought far enough ahead to shoot out the key swipe on the other side. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, to kind of delay them getting in there. Um, we see where he discovers what we find out to be Eleven's room. And it's it's like exactly what we thought it was, or at least what I thought it was going to be. I don't know if others thought that way, but how sad it was and how like clinical those concrete, it looked like a dorm room walls, those mm -hmm. old fashioned dorm room concrete brick walls. Um, she had this sad little drawing um, with her and Papa um, on the wall. And it just looks so sad. It is not you know, I think that when you look at that room and then you see how she looked at Nancy's room in one of the earlier episodes, just so sad. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that was really telling of how she, uh, what her, I don't know how, I don't know how long she's been there um, and, and how, you know, any of that kind of background information or if we find that out, but um, it just sad. No little girl needs to be in that kind of environment. Um, well, I think that really opened up his eyes because he's like, oh, like a kid, like, Obviously, a yeah. kid is this is their room in this like biohazard key entry only place, and he knows that like he thinks that Will's there, so he's like trying to find Will, and it's like oh my gosh, like maybe mm -hmm. these maybe these people are kidnapping kids. And in the early right. episodes, he kind of investigated that and found like I think there was a mom that reported in a paper mm -hmm. that her kid was taken from her. So in his yeah, mind, Doctor Brenner was involved. Yeah. yeah. So in his mind, he's probably thinks like oh my gosh, like this is a place where they kidnap kids and experiment on them. Yeah, because why is why is there a child's room in in this energy facility? What what mm -hmm. what business would any child be be doing there? So I think that's definitely an indication that he's definitely on the right track. That something is is happening and nothing is is as it appears. You know, like they think it to be in this small town. Um, so I thought that was that was very interesting, and I like how they were you know, cutting between Hopper where he finally gets after he gets past Eleven's room and he then gets to um, where that like door or gateway, whatever it is to this other place that we find out um, that Eleven says for the first time, she calls it the upside down. I think that we can, yeah, it's first, you know, kind of come to that conclusion. Now I know why we call it the upside down section. I know, isn't <laughs> it? Just, oh. The, the, the rose-colored glasses are coming off. You're seeing things clearly for the first time. Isn't it wonderful? Like, we should call it Letters from the Upside Down. I'm like, why? That's silly. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> All good things come to those who wait. <laughs> so, so, yeah, we got to hear that for the first time. If you're new to uh, the show, as Sean is, you understand now. Um, you know, you keep hearing about the Upside Down and what it is. And so, you know, you see this inner cut. You know, he walks into the room and you see the dark, the, the I don't know what it is, if it's ash. What I'm calling it ash for the sake of, of this, you know, argument, um, you know, drifting and just kind of floating. And you see him in this room, inner cut with the boys, um, with Eleven. And, you know, she calls it the Upside Down. They're, they use the D&D &D board to kind of represent how they how she flipped it over, 
you know, when she was first talking about where Will was, um, I thought that was really cool and how they're starting to kind of make a connection. And, you know, and then they start to say, oh, it's like the Veil of Shadows. Um, and they start to read the description of the Veil of Shadows. And so I, I had to look it up because I thought, so I know that they kind of talked about it a little bit um, as they were reading it in that description, but I thought, you know, what what is this and how accurate is that? And so I looked it up a little bit and it says, um, for Stranger Things Episode 5, The Flea and the Acrobat, we get to see what edition of Dungeons and Dragons the main characters are playing. As they look up information on the Veil of Shadows, the, she- the scene shows a well-worn copy of the D&D Expert rulebook. The 1983 edition of Expert Rules seems to be the one used in Stranger Things. In the same scene as above, the Veil of Shadows is linked to the Upside Down, place described by Eleven as being where uh, her, their friend Will is hiding or being held. Here's the description of the Veil as it was read in the scene. Um, so I think it was Dustin that read. He said, The Veil of Shadows is a dimension that is a dark reflection or echo of our world. It is a place of decay and death, a plane out of phase, a place with monsters. It is right next to you and you don't even see it. So this guy who wrote this article, and I can um, put, have this put in the show notes for anyone that wants to re- um, reference it, but he seems to be a D&D um, expert, I would call him. <laughs> but he says, I don't remember The Veil of Shadows actually being in the expert set or any D&D edition for that matter, and I've not been able to confirm or deny as a fact. Um, however, the Veil of Shadows does have actual merit, maybe not as official a D&D canon, but at least the name has appeared in other D&D material. Chapter 1 of the excellent video game Icewind Dale is titled The Veil of Shadows and has your party investigating the area on a mission for the druid Arendelle. This Veil of Shadows is just a tomb located east of Kuldahar in the Spine of World and not in another plane of existence. So I thought it was kind of interesting that it doesn't seem to actually be a real place. Like it's, It is referenced in other things, but it's not really something from Dungeons & Dragons. Sean, didn't you play Dungeons & Dragons? Yeah, I don't remember ever going to the Veil of Shadows. I know there's a lot of uh, places in D&D, like there's Shadowfall and places like that that are kind of just different. I know uh-huh. more recently they've created like whole different worlds. Like there's one called Eberron, which is a newer one, which um, I've read some of the books based off that super nerd alert there. Um, <laughs> You've revealed yourself. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it's, I, I wonder if this, it's not something they created because in the, in the context of the show, it's basically like this is an actual created thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't know if maybe that's part of this like Hawkins world that they're, only privy to the Veil of Shadows because they're there near what all this is going on, or, or if mm-hmm. they just like, hey, Veil of Shadows sounds like a really cool idea. Right. Yeah. I I think it was kind of neat. I don't think it was too far fetched that they, you know, because the kids are are such big D and D fans and obviously and you know engulfed into that world. And I don't think it was too far fetched to to pull this, even if it's not straight from D and D, to kind of pull from that. If that's like the actual description, whether it's from D and D or not, I think it's still really cool and it was so creepy you know as they're talking about it and then as hoppers you know kind of discovering it um i just i thought that was super cool the whole cold open how they keep drawing us in um make you want more um and it's not just this episode but it's definitely you know a shout out to all the episodes so far um how awesome you know that it is and i it just makes me they keep they keep talking about D D, and i 
you know, I never got to play it as a kid because um, I didn't have any other little nerdy friends, and this is definitely not a one-player game. No, so yeah, you need a group. <laughs> I, I need, yeah, so, you know, hey, people, if there's, like, a and d for dummies and you want to invite me to play <laughs> for beginners. All you have to do is look up your local game shop, and they're going to have yeah. a game night, and you just go, and, you know, there's going to be a lot of nerdy dudes there, but they'll be glad to teach you. Like, it's the... I, I miss playing D&D so much, um, you know, because it used to be with, with the guys I hung out with, like, I always sell it as it's like 80% bullshitting, like five, like 10% setting up your character and 10% playing. You know, mm. we would sit there and we would watch movies, we would chit chat about the movie, then roll dice, and then, you know, sometimes there'd be movies that are adult style, I guess, and uh-huh. we would giggle at those because we were, you know, immature adults, but... Of course. Um but yeah, it was always a good time, and you know, it's fun. You create these characters, um, kind of a long tangent. There's other um, role-playing style games that are the same kind of tabletop setup, mm-hmm. and the first one I ever played was based in the Star Wars world, Oh, and it was like nice. between episode three and four, and my character actually went to the dark side, and my name was Sintron to start off with, and as I turned to the dark side, I became Darth Sin. Ooh. Yeah. It's so telling, Sean. So telling. That, We're learning so much about you. <laughs> that deep down, I want to be a bad boy, but really, I'm not. <laughs> Interesting. So, you think they'll be accepting if I just walk in, I'm like, I'm a total nerd, but I've never played. I want to play. And they'd be like, hell yeah, sit down. Oh, and yeah, teach you for everything sure. you want to know. Like, usually, and, cool. if, and if you get in a group and they're jerks, like, there's going to be another group that's going to be fun. And that's with anything nerd related, like even shows like this, like there's some people who can watch it and kind of nerd out, but then there's some people who take it way too seriously. Mm-hmm. And like the group I played with and the groups I always play with is, it's kind of one of those things. It's like, okay, well, what do we do in this situation? Like, what's the rules say? You flip through the book for five, 10 minutes. If you can't figure it out, you're like, uh, screw it. Roll a D20 and we'll see what happens. And you just <laughs> go on. Super cool. I'm going to have to look look some up and see if someone will let me play or teach me. I may not be able to like do any long campaigns or something, but I would love to just at least sit down and and learn it and just or maybe even sit and watch someone else play. I find it fascinating. So, you know, if y'all know of a good one in my area, I'm not going to tell you where I'm at, but hey, you can throw some at me and we'll see. We'll see if anything sticks. So anyway, that was kind of a tangent. I apologize. I kind of went off into the D&D realm there. So <laughs> Um, what's your number five, Sean? So my number five, uh, so I, I really like the cold open too. Um, so I like that they're kind of telling all three stories at once. So you have Hopper bouncing in and out. They go back to, to, um, Joyce and what she's going through. And then you mm-hmm. see the, the guys like trying to figure out where, uh, Will is. But for my number five, uh, it's a character that I love, but he always seems kind of goofy. It's Dustin, right? And Dustin's, yeah. you know, he's always throwing out ideas. You know, he's like, well, maybe we're being haunted. You know, maybe she has superpowers. And he just doesn't seem like he's that bright. But as they're going through this whole thing, he's walking around pacing back and forth. And the guy's finally like yelling, like, what are you doing? And he's got his compass. He's like, let me see your compasses. And what he finds out from this, he finds out that all the compasses are pointing to the wrong north. Mm-hmm. And he does his little uh, Scooby doing on his own and figures. <laughs> and I love too, like he's like, he like, do you see where they're all pointing? Like, yeah, it's like that's not true north. Like, what do you mean? He's like, the sun rises in the east and sets in the west, so yeah. that's true north. And uh, you know, the guys, of course, I don't really understand 
at, at this time where he's like, well, they're broke. And Dustin was like, well, they don't take batteries. And I, I don't know early 80s if there's a lot of things that took batteries. It seems like back then it was still a lot more of not so many gadgets, but maybe I'm wrong. Well, certainly nothing that small took batteries, not like today. I mean, you know, they had their walkie-talkies, how they're communicating, and I'm sure those do in flashlights and things like that, Big, bigger radios and those huge D batteries. Um, but certainly nothing that small took batteries, not like today. I mean, as technology has advanced, our phones have gotten smaller, everything has gotten smaller and do run on batteries. But yeah, it's exactly right. But he uses, you know, the conversation that they had with their teacher and he understands like, listen, you know, something has to be overpowering because I remembered that a magnet can cause a, a, a compass to point in the wrong direction. And so that sets them on this little adventure where they're going and following where this is going, trying to find... The gate, because that's where Will is. Mm-hmm. And I love that, you know, they kind of give the character that you would least expect to understand that. You know, who, who would be the one person who wouldn't be like, oh, yeah, True North is this way. These things are pointing in the wrong direction. And kind of, you know, figure out that there's a connection there of where the thing is that they want to go. Because the whole time you see Eleven, and she's very much like, she knows where it is. She knows where they need to go, but she does not want to take them there. Yep. So my number five is kind of a short one, but it was just Dustin being able to figure out the direction that they needed to head via the compass. That's it's so interesting that that you say that, and I agreed with everything that you said. Um, and it just kind of rolls me because that's that was that was my number four was Dustin. Oh, so nice. I'll just yeah, I mean it's, we're of the same mind, you know. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I thought the same thing. He's known normally, he's kind of goofy. He's not as serious as the others. I mean, he, he does care about Will and he's serious about that and about him being missing and wanting to find him. But he's always kind of the one in the group throwing out the goofy comments, um, you know, and he doesn't, he's not always as serious. Um, but then he comes through with all of a sudden he has this knowledge about compasses and how they work. And he's like, you know, and they all seem like a bunch of smart kids. You know, all of them seem you know, uh, pretty smart. They're a little nerdy. Um, they, you know, hang out with their science teacher. So, you know, they, they're obviously into these things, but this happens to be the one thing that Dustin knows and he shows his expertise and he got to shine, mm-hmm. you know, a little bit in this and you got to see a side of him. Um, so I thought that was really fun, um, as well. So I agree with everything that you said. And, and I was thinking about it and I had have to ask, can, can you read a compass? Do you know how to um, read a compass and use one? Vaguely. Um, so I think the way you're supposed to use and if anybody's like out in the middle of the woods right now, they're like, oh, thank God, Sean's, this is the one <laughs> podcast I have, and Sean's going to help me save my life. Like, going to enlighten me. <laughs> uh, you know, you might try this, but you also might not. But yep. <laughs> if, if I recall correctly, I think what you're supposed to do is you take the compass and you the arrow's going to point to north. So then you move the compass in yourself so that the arrow and north line up, and that'll show you where all the directions are. So from that, you'll be able to gain your bearings and, okay, north is where this is pointing. This is east, south, and west. That that works for me um, because I have to say, I mean, I, I know, obviously, yes, magnetic field. I know how compass works. It points to the magnetic field and points to true north. But I have, like, just not when I needed it like to help me get out of somewhere. <laughs> but I have, you know, just kind of tested it, and I honestly think it made it worse i didn't know where the hell i was going so it would just make me curious i'm like am i just such a big dork that i just i understand how it works but i 
can't quite execute it. <laughs> like if I'm stranded, I don't know what to do. I don't know. Maybe if I really needed to, I could figure it out. But what? I just felt really silly. So yeah, we're getting to be like the generation that can't really do much on their own. Like right now, I, my, I have a nail in my truck tire, and I'm praying that it doesn't go flat because I do not want to change it and oh embarrass my myself. It's been, I mean, it's been over probably 14 years since I've changed a flat tire. So I just do not want to go through the effort, one. And two, I don't want to, you know, look like a goober on the side of the road. Call me. I'll walk you through it because <laughs> that I can do. <laughs> that I can do. I can change a tire. It might take me a little bit longer, but I can do it. I got gotcha. you. I'll be, I'll be your AAA. Rima, I'm stuck. I need help. I don't want to call my dad. And and I won't tell anybody. I'll keep your secret. I will not be telling everybody. Man, Sean does not know how to change a tire, folks. I will not. He we'll kept, just pretend. We'll just keep that between um, us and you, listeners. Um, that you know that knowledge. It's that you know what happens here stays here. Don't talk about it. This is Fight Club. So yeah, that I, I totally agree with your number five, and that that kind of also led into my number four. I don't really have too much to add to that uh, um, than what you already said. So um, we'll just include that as my number four. So let's let's hear what your number four is. All right. So my number four. So we get a flashback to L being back at the uh, the factory or the wherever you want to call it, the experiment house. I don't know what's mm -hmm. a. What, I don't know. Do we have a good term we're calling that place? I. You know what? I haven't come up with anything. I just. Um, I don't know, research room? I don't know. Yeah, research something, facility, yeah. something like that. So we see Elle back at the research facility, and the doctor's wanting her to basically like go into like supernova and figure out, like it seems like she's going to go across the ocean or like way far away to listen in on some guy's conversation. So to do this, they take Elle, they put that thing on her, and they lower her into some water, which one, this 11-year-old, 12-year-old girl, mm -hmm. you know, being fully submerged in this water, where the doctor's looking at her has to be creepy in its own mind, its own no way. Kidding. But then we see that she basically is able, and I'm guessing this is the upside down because she's in this just completely dark world. Like it's completely black. It reminded yeah. me of like the matrix as they're getting into like those, uh, different oh, situations. Yes. Except it's a white room or something yeah. instead of the, the darkness. Yeah. I know Kung Fu. Yeah. And then, and then all the guns when they're getting ready to load up with all the guns. Ah, so awesome. Anyway, sorry, tangent. But uh, let's see. So, yeah, so she's – so and it seems like she's, like, reading this dude's conversation, like, across the world because he's speaking Russian. Mm -hmm. And this is during the 80s, so this will be the Cold War. So, I mean, this sparks all kinds of, like, curiosities to me because I'm like, okay, well, this is a government facility. These are the Russians during the, you know, Cold War. You know, mm -hmm. is this, like, the NSA or the government or, like, some kind right. of, like, CIA type of thing where it's like, listen – we want to find these people with these abilities so that we can spy on the Ruskies, so we can make sure that, you know, we they're not doing better than us because, I don't know, it was a Cold War. I didn't live through it. I just know everybody was scared for a long time, and there was a wall. I think that's a really good question. I don't know that I went that deep with it, but that's really good that you bring that up, and I thought, I thought the same thing um, as far as you thinking how scary this was for a child – you know, to have to do this. And you can tell she obviously doesn't really want to do it, but yeah. I think that she, she will do anything, I think, in essence, to please her papa, you know, as she calls him. Yeah, um, that relationship and, and is just super not isn't healthy. It just, yeah. I know. And it's so weird because you would almost, it's like he cares for her, but he doesn't because he's like, well, is that okay with you? Yeah. Because like, yeah. she just says bath. And he's like, yeah. Are, is that okay? 
And so it's like he's actually asking her if she's okay with it. But if she had said no, then wouldn't she, wouldn't they kind of force her to do it anyway? Well, probably. I mean, um, that's the situation. Oh, well, you really disappointed me, Eleven. We're going to have to put you back in the special room. And that's exactly. where they lock her up in the, you know, the padded room where it's solitary confinement with no food. Exactly. So, um, you know, I just, just so sad. I just find this whole, every time we get a little, you know, peeling more layers of her backstory in these flashbacks just makes me more sad because it's like she doesn't want to do these things. Um, but, you know, she's being forced whether, um, you know, being whether they're using like a psychological way to manipulate her and to get her to do those things or, you know, a threat of physical um, abuse or something that they might do. But I think it's all definitely psychological and emotional that they're definitely using to get her to do what they want to do. And is that the whole purpose of what they're doing there? Is it just for, you know, like you said, the Cold War is happening? Are they are they just like, hey, we got these kids with these really awesome abilities or this one kid. I don't know that we've seen anyone outside of Eleven, but you know, hey, we can use her for these kinds of experiments and expand on something different. Or yeah. was that the whole purpose anyway? We don't really know that at this point, I don't think. Yeah, potentially. I mean, you hear the story a lot in comics where it's basically like the government trying to weaponize, you know, these people with special abilities. You know, mm-hmm. you know like I think they did that with X-Men. I think, you know, spoilers, that's kind of how the spoilers for Logan, three, two, one, spoilers for Logan, <laughs> skip 10 seconds ahead. You know, that's what they did with the kids in Logan. I mean, they're trying to weaponize these, you know, mutants. Yeah. And it really gets to feel like that's what they're trying to do. It's like, okay, well, you know, she can, you know, be able to hear things she shouldn't. So let's use that. Now they know she has like these other superpowers. And I wonder if this is kind of, I don't know if you'd really tie it back to like when we were creating like nuclear weapons during World War II. But, you know, it's kind of that thing like, okay, we're, we're taking this thing and we're weaponizing it. But we really don't know like the total repercussions from it. Because, you know, like with um, nuclear weapons, I I think they knew there was some kind of nuclear fallout, but they didn't really, I don't know if they knew really well, like how bad it was. Right. But like in this instance, like, okay, we got this girl, we're weaponizing her. And in this instance, she's in this like dark world where she can only see the one guy. But all of a sudden in this dark world, there's something grumbling at her. There's something in the dark coming at her. And it's almost like she is the bridge that like, you know, these two separate worlds, the upside down and the real world existed in harmony to an extent if you can call it a harmony but as she kind of started pushing the boundaries of her powers she kind of put a crack in there and this is just my thoughts and my assumptions but she's kind of caused the crack in there to help these worlds start to bleed over so it Uh wasn't until they started using her powers to push things forward that now this world is starting to come in and consume you know their world the real the real world to an extent right Gosh, really good thoughts. Yeah, it's it, and it's hard to see exactly how much either Eleven herself caused, inadvertently, of course. Oh, yeah. But by doing, you know, having to be forced to do these things that they're asking her to do. Um, and then it, actually the impact, you know, how did, you know, this these two worlds merge and we finally get this gateway to this place and how involved was she um, with that happening, you know, inadvertently, but obviously she knows what it is because she tells the boys, you know, not safe, mm-hmm. you know, when she's trying to divert them and messing with their compasses to divert, divert them from, you know, north or, you know, because they were on the right track, I believe. Um, and then she's trying to lead them away because she's trying to keep them safe. But I really, I really like the idea that they put her in this, what she calls the bath, because it reminded me, how familiar are you with like those sensory deprivation tanks? Um, I've heard of them, but I've never like been in one or anything. 
Oh, yeah, I've never been in one, but I've always been kind of fascinated with the whole idea. And, you know, the isolation tank, they're called isolation tanks or sensory deprivation tanks. And it was developed in 1954 by John C. Lilly, and he was a metal practitioner and neuropsychiatrist. And he did some training in psychoanalysis, and he did some experiments where he was taking some psychoactive substances, and he was floating, because you kind of float in this uh-huh. water. It's got, like, Epsom salt uh, in that water, so it kind of, you, you float. Okay. Um, and he was taking LSD <laughs> a lot. <laughs> Listening to the doors. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I got a little soundtrack going. He's like, it's throw in a there. dolphin in here. Let's get the full experience. <laughs> Absolutely. Some Pink Floyd would be my choice. <laughs> but... But anyway, um, so he's the one that kind of came up with this, and they actually use it today. It's kind of a form of alternative medicine. I've never tried it. I've never talked to anyone who's tried it, so I don't, you know, I'm not going to claim whether it works or it doesn't. I'm sure for some people it works. Um, But they're saying that some of the claims are exaggerated and poorly evidenced, but I think some people um, have sought treatment for it for conditions which include muscle tension, chronic pain, hypertension, and rheumatoid arthritis hmm. to PMS. Hey, oh, there we go. PMS, you know, Hey, help out the ladies. Yeah, but, why um, not? And also I think it can be helpful with stress management as well. Couldn't we all use some of that? Oh, we yeah. all should have an isolation tank, but I think it's supposed to like you float, like it's got this Epsom salt. So it's salty water, you know, like the dead sea where you just yeah. like float, like super flotation going, um, and it's super quiet. You know, they close this big dark door on you, and it's so quiet you can't see, you can't hear, and you're just floating. You don't, you know, and I just, you know, I've always found that super interesting. And, you know, they made a movie. Um, uh, it was a movie in, that came out in 1980 called Altered States. Okay, never heard of that which, one. Which, yeah, I remember watching it as a kid. Now, I wasn't, it was on repeat, and I think on HBO. I wasn't out, or I wasn't old enough to remember exactly when it came out, but I remember watching it on HBO when I was a little bit older in the 80s, and... um. I was fascinated with that whole thing. So if you haven't watched that movie, I certainly won't give anything away, but it was really cool. Um, and it was kind of based off of some of uh, John C. Lilly's um, experiments and um, drug-induced states and things that they explored in that movie. So it's super cool. You should check it out. But I just thought that was interesting and didn't know if you'd ever heard of that or seen one. or. Well, I know I have been drunk on a pool floaty numerous times. <laughs> And that is some of the most relaxing times I've ever had. So I can see this being a benefit, too. Absolutely. <laughs> Haven't we all done something similar? <laughs> Drunk on a pool floating. Although, although the problem there is you, when you wake up, you got a bad sunburn or an uneven tan. But, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes you just got to do what you got to do. Absolutely. I think I've had a similar experience um, in a pool or on, like, a lazy river kind yeah, of thing. Uh-huh. And you just, you're out, you're zonked. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Or if you're in the Midwest float trips, that's kind of a common thing. It is. It is in these small small town areas that we keep talking about. Yeah. I, I, yeah so have, have you ever been on a float trip? No. Okay. Not exactly. Not like not like you're talking about. Like with a group of friends, done something similar in our neck of the woods, but not like those kind of trips. Yeah. So basically, so the one I went on, and there's numerous different kinds, but if you want to ever feel like white trash, like a float trip <laughs> down a like creek or river, like the one I went to, it was like just tons of people. And so basically what you do, so people that don't know, people are like, what's a float trip? That sounds amazing. It kind of is, but it's really not. So what you do on a float trip is you basically get in a tube of some sort. Some people sit in like round tubes. Some sit on like boats. And you just mm-hmm. have a cooler of beer or your liquor of choice. And you just float down a river for like 
12 hours. Yeah, on its own float. Your cooler of beer is on its yeah, own float. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So tied, tied to your inner tube or whatever you're floating on. Yep, so your yeah. beer's cold, you know, and if you get hot, you jump in the water. And usually there's, like, everybody's drunk. Usually there's ladies that lose outfits and show mm-hmm. people things. Mm-hmm. Um, my, I've only been on one. And my favorite thing that happened on the whole trip is there's this dude that we kept passing every now and then. He was like a massive dude. Like he was ripped, like college football, like, you know, six foot two. Like (laughs) he had muscles that I didn't even know existed. And as we passed him and there's another group of people that passed him and he was kind of standing on the shore. And this kid, like this scrawny super kid with tattoos all over. Oh, that's the other thing on float trips. Everybody has tattoos. I think you can't get on a float trip unless you have a tattoo. Of course. And so the scrawny kid stands up. He's like, oh, my God, look, it's the fucking Hulk. What's up, Hulk? <laughs> and starts flexing. And the guy just laughs at him. And, you know, he floats on down the river. Good times. We'll have Good to. Times. We'll have to talk Jason and Karen. For, you know, bring them from California. And be like, hey, this is what what us Midwesterners like to I was do. Gonna for say, fun. We need to expose them to our white trash world. Because there ain't nothing more hillbilly people than floating down an inner tube down the creek or, or a little inlet or whatever the hell we got going on down here. <laughs> Let's meet up at the sandbar. <laughs> exactly. Uh, where do I go to the bathroom? You just go. You just go. <laughs> Unless it's number two. Yeah. <laughs> but... <laughs> so for my number four, it's L is the power in the water. Although she's not in float trip water, she's in a pool water. She is, yeah. It's a little bit different than um, the the sensory deprivation tank. You, you know, it's shaped a little bit different. But that's what it reminds me of because she's basically, you know, because you know, before when she was reading that guy's mind, you know, she was in a in a room, um, and the other guy was in this other room. But now, because of how far they were asking her to to go to read this guy's mind, she had to be like completely you know, focused and couldn't have any distraction. She had to be completely have, you know, that's what she had was just to focus and being like this. It's like she was just floating. Um, She couldn't see anything outside of her, and that's all she could do is focus. So I think the same kind of um, idea anyway, even though it was like shaped a little bit differently, if you Google what um, one of those uh, sensory tanks look like, it looks a little bit different. And it looks different in the movie too, um, in Altered States if you watch it. Um, But yeah, I totally agree. That was super cool and just very interesting i think when we got to see her crossover like where was she exactly I, at, at first i thought she was kind of like in this guy's mind oh yeah, yeah. Bit, no, that makes know. sense yeah but um but then i think when you do hear what we hear because you hear that noise you don't see it and you don't know if she sees it if she sees something but you know that she hears it that noise is what we hear every time we see mm-hmm. or know that that like creature thing is around so um obviously that would make perfect sense to make that connection. So I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, and she looked legitimately scared too. Like I don't, they don't, you don't really see if she actually saw it or not, but whatever she sensed scared her, like, you know, almost like whenever you wake up um, from like a bad dream, like that's kind of what happened to her. Yeah, and the poor thing, so scared. She, You could see her, how it went from her running wherever, whatever realm or whatever you want to call that, wherever she was, um, and then shows her back in the tank and she's like, you know, screaming and pounding on the side, you know, trying to get out of there that she was so scared. So yeah, she knows that whatever's happening is, is pretty bad and wants to keep those boys away from it. So good number four, good thoughts. Um, so my number three is just basically in this episode, the scary moments, because man, oh man, was, was there a couple good ones? Um, I thought Hopper waking up 
after he had been, you know, they shoved that needle in his neck. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course we're like, oh, 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 what's happening here? And he wakes up and he's back in his place. I mean, how freaking scary would that be? You know, um, you have no idea what happened. You've lost some time. You know where you were. Obviously, he remembers like where he was and what happened. He doesn't have like memory loss, but he's like, "How the hell did I get here?" Probably wondering why is he still alive? Um, I because they, you know, they didn't think anything of killing Benny. You know, from that first episode. No, yeah, good call, good point. Yeah, so yeah, so when they, you know, they didn't think anything of killing him, but they they didn't kill Hopper. But then I thought, well, Hopper is a little bit more probably high profile. He's the he's the chief. There in town, the sheriff, whatever you want to call him, I think he's. A, I think they called him the chief. Um, so that would be a little bit harder to explain, I think, because and then he's also told his deputies whether or not um, Huey and Dewey could figure out yeah, I don't what think actually <laughs> maybe fight over who the new chief is. Exactly. So, but I mean, I don't know whether or not they'd be an, smart enough to figure it out. But that's an interesting point because I mean, in this, like, right after the the Huey and Dewey show up and like, oh, there's more people missing, boss. You know, as they're leaving, they mention like, oh, I think you know the chief's off his meds. So yeah. if you know, I'm sure these people know that he's taking some kind of medication. They could have easily planted it like an overdose. Like exactly. all the chief was, you know, heart str- or, you know, like he couldn't take the fact that Will died. Like he, you know, mm-hmm. wasn't able to save this kid. So, you know, he overdosed on pills. But yeah, I'm really curious why they left him alive. Like that didn't seem to add up in this. Like when I saw the needle go in, I was like, ah, I know who's going into the upside down next. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're right. They could have easily, you know, because they made Benny look like a suicide. Mm-hmm. I mean, it didn't add up because of the people that knew him, but I mean, it's hard to, you know, that's nothing concrete um, because you can't really, you know, predict, you know, someone that's going to do something like that. Um, But yeah, they could have easily, I mean, obviously he's had issues. He's lost his daughter. You know, he's, um, we can tell from this episode, he has a conversation, um, appears to be his ex-wife. They must have, you know, I'm assuming split up after the death of their daughter. It was just something that they weren't able to work through and, and get through. Um, so it, it wouldn't be seem that too far fetched to make it look like an, you know, an accident or, or even another suicide, um, if he's on some type of medication. So, but I mean, you can't really count on the fact, you know, even though he's told, you know, uh, like I said, Hugh and Dewey that he has suspicions about what's going on there. They don't seem, they're just kind of like, Oh, okay. They're just kind of going through the motions. They don't seem to really believe too much like he's really gung-ho and really believes this and you know they don't really believe it but I thought that was kind of scary to me that would be scary if I was in that situation um I thought the deer in the woods when Jonathan and Nancy were looking for um traces of Barb or Will or whatever happens to be in the woods because they both feel like they've seen something and they know something's out there that made me jump so high (laughs) off (laughs) I was watching it while I was in bed and (laughs) made me jump and I'm like I just, these people are so damn brave because Hopper was in that room just before um, the people came in and shoved that needle in his neck. He goes up to that like gateway and starts like feeling around and, Mm -hmm. you know, he's putting his hands through there and I'd be getting the hell out of there. And and, and same with that deer. I'd be like, I'd piss my pants. I would scream bloody murder and I would run, you know, like my life depended on it, which I think at the time... In that situation, it would. And I'm like, I do not have the testicular fortitude to do what they were doing. Because Nancy, she starts crawling through that damn tree. Yeah, I know. know, Jonathan turns around and she's, you know, I'm like, what are you doing? Why? What? Who? 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 who, How is that normal? Yeah, I think that's where you have to have a little bit of disbelief. Because, like, 
you know, any like I've I've walked into because I've hunted before. So, you know, you get up early to hunt. So you walk through the woods and I don't care like how at least to me, like the woods at night when it's pitch black and you can barely see in front of your face. It's kind of scary. It's like Blair Witch stuff, man. Exactly. Yeah. You're super isolated. I mean, they're in Indiana. So, I mean, there's not really that many wildlife type animals you have to be scared of. Uh, There's Bigfoot. There is Bigfoot. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) But he's not as common as like grizzly bears in Alaska. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. I'll give you that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But I mean, yeah, I mean, there's, you know, even knowing that like the odds of seeing a Bigfoot, for instance, are pretty slim. Like they're still trutching around out there, you know, pitch black with just a flashlight and a bat and a pistol. Yeah. And we can see how um, effective she is with that bat. Yeah, she didn't really do the, she didn't do very well with the bat. The pistol, she could shoot like, uh, oh shoot, like who's the, Annie Oakley. You know, Annie she's Oakley, like, yeah. yeah. First shot pops the can. Yeah, she was way better with the gun than she was with that bat. I was just really sad. Um, I Look, I know not everybody is athletic. Not everybody <laughs> has athletic qualities, but I thought, come on. You had to have, as a child, played some sort of wiffle ball, uh, t-ball, when she was going know. with the Ty Cobb style batting stance with the split grip and kind of swinging yeah. from her, from her, you know, kind of her waist area. I just, uh, it just, it made me sad, but it's, it's fine. Whatever. Not everybody has athletic abilities. I'm not the most athletic, but I'm extremely competitive and I can swing a bat. That's for sure. Oh, yeah. But, um, so that was disappointing. Um, but yeah, just the scary moments. I just thought, um, just a lot. I don't know that how accurate I feel some of their bravery was just because I don't, and maybe it's just me. I, I like to think that I'm brave and that I would probably, hell yeah, I'd be all up in that business and, <laughs> and checking it out. But honestly, hell no. I, I scare easily. Um, I would be running. I'd be peeing my pants and I'd be running. Well, once um, I once I looked in that tree and touched it, I'd be like, ew, it's all sticky. Nope. Not going in there. It it, it had your scary. ectoplasm and your goo. It was covered in that goo. Do you want to crawl through that? No, it's like it's got goop on it. Like I'm wearing my good school clothes. I can get things <laughs> dirty. Mom will beat my butt. <laughs> Mom would kick my ass <laughs> if I come home in my good school clothes. I'm already out past curfew, and now I've got goop all over my clothes. Isn't that true? Man, did you ever get in trouble if you did not come home and change out of your school clothes and put on your play oh, clothes? Yeah. Before I remember getting, play? getting like grass oh, stains on my jeans and mom would just not be happy. Oh, yeah. Side, side rant there for a second. Sorry, <laughs> folks, but I definitely learned my lesson. Go in that laundry room and you strip out of those school clothes because I was outside. I was a tomboy, so I was outside all the time. <laughs> the minute I got home from school, screw homework. It was time to go play outside. And, uh, yeah, I would get in so much trouble if I forgot to take off my school jeans or something. And you got a rip or a tear, got them really dirty. Mom mm. had to work extra hard to get them out. When is it, as a kid, too, like your old clothes are the ones that like barely fit, too. So, like, they're super tight yeah. and they're like uncomfortable. But last year's jeans are exactly. too short. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, so kind of going into more Midwestern white trash. So, the, your uh, your pants that you kind of outgrew, they're kind of high waters. Your mom would cut around the knees. So now you have jean shorts. Now you have jean shorts. <laughs> <laughs> Here's your summer clothes. Yeah. <laughs> summer wardrobe <laughs> recycled. <laughs> totally. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. We certainly shared the same life. Um, but, yeah, I'm not crawling through that goop. And I'm not checking it out. She was – I just thought either these people are, like, way brave and I'm just a, a big puss – um, or, you know, they're just, you know, because we need to see what's, what's there. 
um, is, is why they, they decided to do that. But just the scary moments. I thought there were really, I think there's been lots of good scary moments that have really scared the hell out of me. Um, but those scary moments and when the, the monster turned around after she did go through the door and she's obviously, um, what we know is upside down and that creature's eating that deer. Ugh. I mean, it looked like alien, um, from not alien from the movie alien, but, uh, the alien from predator. Oh, uh, it yeah. reminded me of, of if if you remember the um, how it would kind of open its jaws and there was like teeth, you know. Well, it's it's kind of like the vampires from Blade too. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie, but like their mouths kind of the open one. up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the second one, there's like a second form of vampires where their mouths kind of open like that. Mm-hmm. Um, they're more humanoid looking, obviously, but it's still kind of that same like. And nothing should open their mouth that much. No, kinda, and it almost kind of like it. It kind of almost did the same thing. Oh, that was so good. That was so good when they when he when he went to like full like eating a child mode. Yeah, and showed oh. like and he showed Bev, Bev the deadlights. Oh wow, yeah, gosh, that was good. If you haven't seen it, guys, we've already kind of given away a few things. Um, nothing too relevant to the story that gives anything away too much. But go see that damn movie. It's oh awesome. yeah, it's it's probably gonna be out for another week or two. But yeah, go see it. Go see it twice. It's so good. Oh, it's so good. I saw it twice and it was worth it every time. And it scared me every time, and I laughed at every time still. So <laughs> it was it was great. But yeah, it was just like that's unnatural. That shouldn't happen. So um, th- those moments scared me, and I thought it was worth mentioning. And that was my number three. So a lot of that kind of tied into my number three. So my number three is kind of the monster hunt. So it's kind of like what we talked about: Nancy shooting the gun, um, finding the dead deer. Um, I kind of it's kind of interesting. So you know, with. Uh, um, what was her friend's name? I forgot all of a sudden. Barb. Barb. So you forgot about Barb. I did, unfortunately. <laughs> hashtag save Barb. <laughs> or what was our hashtag for that? Slutty girls win or something like that. Yeah, slutty girls win. <laughs> slutty girls rule. <laughs> so you know, like whenever we saw Barb get attacked, like you don't really know what happened, and even with Will, you don't really know what happens, and it's all starting to come together now. So I thought like maybe this monster thing like kind of ate them there and that's what took them to the um, upside down. But we learned that whatever attacked them is basically grabbing them, dragging them because we see it with this deer and taking them through whatever gate they've created. So that's why we saw Goop. I don't know if we saw any Goop at um, Steve the D's house, but we did see Goop in the the barn uh, Mm -hmm. shed thing. And then we saw Goop in the tree. And the goop in the tree was, you know, it's the same thing, like you said, like she sees it, she's like trying to investigate it. And, you know, first off, like, you know, the tree's not very big. And when my whole body gets in there and I'm still crawling, I'm like, nope, backing up, throw it in reverse, we're getting out of here. Exactly. That that doesn't give you good feelings. Yeah, you don't, you don't crawl through the tree. And there's never been a time in my life where I'm like, oh, look, there's a hole in this tree. I want to crawl through it because there's bugs, Uh there's probably ticks, there's snakes, surely there's snakes. And those are yep. all things I want to avoid. Yeah, nothing good comes from craw- crawling through a, 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 a whatever a, a door or portal or a, any kind of opening in a tree. Nothing good comes of it. And I think this is a tale too. So you know, as she sees this thing, she looks around, she yells for Jonathan. And this is something I just learned recently, and it's it's words to live by. And they are Rima: never <laughs> leave your wingman. No matter what, you know, if you're in like if you're driving separate cars. If you're, you know, at a bar, if you're uh, out in the woods trying to hunt down a monster, you never mm-hmm. leave your wingman's side. And that's what happened here. She looks around. She's like, Jonathan, Jonathan. Oh, he's gone. Oh, I'll just crawl through this tree. Do, 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 do. Yeah. 
like nothing. You're you're exactly right. It's the Betty system for a reason. Oh yes, exactly. And you know she gets through there, and we see it's it's the upside down kind of thing. She's got the ash falling. It looks like their world, but it's not. And she sees that monster. And this is where we get the first like full look of this monster too. And she backs up and she steps on a twig, and that's when the monster turns and looks at her. And it, and what we saw in last episode where the house or the wall was kind of closing, as mm-hmm. Jonathan finds her bat, that tree slowly starts to close. So either you know this monster is able to create these gates for a short period of time, or he can contr- he or she controls how it closes. Yeah, but that's kind of that same thing. Like that monster hunt was really cool because you get to see like you we actually see this monster now. Hmm. Yeah. You you got a good glimpse. I mean, we've seen flashes of him. You see him in like shadowed by darkness. You know, um, you know, in the dark where you just like see a shadow or you just see his outline or profile. Um, but this you got a pretty good, even though the, the upside down is dark, you got to you got to see his body mm-hmm. and how unnatural it was. You know, they describe like, you know, the long limbs and and then, of course, when it turned its head. Oh, hell no. Yeah. The other cool thing. So I, we both like The Walking Dead. Mm-hmm. And I have to say that the deer and Stranger Things looked a lot better than the deer in The Walking <laughs> Dead. I agree 100%. <laughs> Anyone who has watched this last season of The Walking Dead knows exactly what Sean is referring to. Um, the the deer scene, the deer episode um, with Rick and Michonne. Great episode. It was, it was good, a really, yeah. really great episode. There were some great things. Got some great moments with Rick and Michonne that I thought were absolutely adorable. But that moment, unfortunately, I think took so much away. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, this deer... Like, Obviously, they can't use real animals, thank God, because I'm an animal lover, and, and that's just not appropriate. Um, but I thought, you know, for being a, a fake deer and being in that moment, um, they did a pretty good job. It did look pretty pretty uh, lifelike, enough to make me get emotional because I, <laughs> I, I get all emotional over animals. I'm a big sap when it comes to animals. People I don't care about, but animals um, I care. Um, so, yeah, I agree. The, the deer was good, um, and I felt bad for it that it was getting eaten uh, by that thing. Whatever you want to call it, a demigorgon or a creature. Yeah, we don't really have a name for it. I mean, they call it the demigorgon, but is it a demigorgon? Is it a, just a monster? But yeah, it's we're starting to learn more. We got what three episodes left to kind of figure it all out, too. Oh, so I know. Well, do, will we? I don't know. Will we figure it all out? I don't know. The we, benefit got the benefit I have though is uh, October twenty seventh, season two starts, so I get to jump right into season two. Yes. Yeah, it's gonna be great. It's gonna be great. I can't wait. So, anything else on your number three? Nope, that's my number three. We got the monster hunt. Yes, so good. So, my number two is kind of short, but I really, really liked it. I thought it was a really great moment um, in the episode was um, the story of the flea and the acrobat. Uh, Yeah, this is actually my number two as well. Kind of the upside down, yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's hilarious how we're not only talking about the same things, but they're on like the same order <laughs> as well. It's cracking me up. Um, but I, I really love Mr. Clark. I think he's so adorable, and I really, really wish I had him as my science teacher. I probably would have done a lot better in science um, had he been my... I, I didn't do it too bad because I was fascinated by science. I was... I confess, you know, I've said before, a little bit of a nerd, um, especially at the age of those kids. Um, I really liked school at the time because before I hated it. Um, 
but I really think I would have done really great and better had I had him as my science teacher. I really liked how he told the story. It definitely made sense. You know how he drew it out when he's drawing, you know, telling the story about the flea and the acrobat and how the acrobat, you know, we have rules in, in our world, in our dimension, and we are the acrobat, and we can move this way and that way. But here you've got the flea. Um, he can also move these same directions, but he can also do this. Um, so I thought that was, you know, really cool and interesting that he, you know, obviously he's a teacher for a reason. Um, you know, he's, you know, telling the kids about the story and telling them a little bit about, like, how to travel to another dimension or what it looks like and, and you know, can it be done. I just thought it was really charming and I really liked him. And I liked how he explained how it would take a lot of energy, more than what we could produce, to cause a tear in time and space to create that doorway or gate um, to that other dimension. Um, I just found it all absolutely adorable how he takes the time with the kids. It's, it's, I love all the adults, how they all in their own way relate to the kids, take time with the kids and really listen, uh-huh, you know, I yeah. feel to the kids really listen to them. They're not just dismissive of them. Some are, but you know, they're not all, you have some really great parents, you know, on the show and some of the great things you get to see a great moment with Joyce and Will in a flashback, you know, where he's, you know, he's a little bit of an oddball but he's just kind of nerdy like the rest of us were nerds you know we were all a little bit different and he's you know talking about how he didn't have his red crayon so he's drink drawing these green fireballs Mm -hmm. and she's just completely all into it she's like that's great honey you know i think this is fabulous and she's just totally in it with him but then kind of joking that you know i'm gonna get you red crayons because it looks like he's throwing cabbages (laughs) you know (laughs) well i love that scene because it really shows like it's a mom that cares because like a lot of times kids that age do like weird things because it's like it's your mm-hmm. kid, your imagination runs wild. And I think a lot of parents, you know, they just kind of forget that childhood innocence almost. And it's like, oh, this kid's just being weird. Like I'm going to half-ass questions, mm-hmm. not really paying attention. But she seemed like really interested, like had a full conversation about like, oh, well, you know, I thought whatever the wizard's name was like really smart. Why wouldn't he just avoid fighting this person? And Will comes back with something. He's like, well, you know, sometimes mom – you know, the enemy's just as smart as he is. So sometimes yeah. he's got to, what do you say, destroy him or something along those lines. Yeah. Yeah, I really like that where he, I think that's kind of poignant to kind of what's happening in the story, you know, because these good guys are really smart. Mm-hmm. So no, that's good, certainly, good point. Yeah, so I think that's kind of reflective of not just like what Will was talking about, but is true to, to the current events. Um, but I really liked, I really liked uh, Mr. Clark and how he explained that story and how it was possible. Like, he wasn't dismissive of the kids at all. Like, oh, you guys in your overactive imaginations. He, he was really talking to them like people. Mm-hmm. And I, I just – I really liked that because, you know, I, I remember being a kid – you know, and being like, felt like I was dismissed about some things that I was really curious about or had questions about and people, not everyone, but you know, just some things that stood out that people would just be kind of dismissive and, you know, like you weren't worth taking the time to explain something that you were really curious about or had questions about. And, and he just totally, you know, was like, oh yeah, like this and, and tells him that story. So it was kind of short, my number two, but I just, that really stood out to me. And of course, that's the title of the episode, The Flea and the Acrobat, because we're kind of seeing, you know, they're wanting to discover how can we get there? How can we get Will? This is the smartest man that we know. You know, he's got to know something. So I just thought that was a really cute story, and I really like Mr. Clark. Yes, yeah, adorable. So my number two really ties into that as well. It's more about the upside down, but still kind of the same topics. But the only thing I'd like to add to that is, you know, like you talked about um, Will's mom, but, you know, Mr. Clark, you know, it's very rarely do you feel like, I, or at least I felt like I had the teachers that really cared 
and talk to mm-hmm. you as an adult because even in high school, like they talk to you like you're a stupid kid, but like you have, I mean, as a high school, you have a lot of emotions. You're going through a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And I had a science teacher and a homeroom teacher who was just, you know, really willing to listen to me talk and, you know, almost letting me get things off my chest of like, you know, this is the stuff I'm struggling with. This is the stuff I'm going through. And like actually care about, you know, what I was saying. Mm-hmm. And, you know, reassuring me is like, hey, you know, you're a great kid, this blah, 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 you know, you're doing great, blah, blah, blah. And just kind of making you feel like, oh, okay, well, somebody actually cares. And that's kind of how I feel about Mr. Clark, where he's like, you know, these kids are going through a really tough time, and I really want to be there for them, not just as a teacher, but even more about as like maybe a, not really a friend, maybe not be the right way to put it, but just as somebody that these kids can come to and, you know, basically have a, a, a place to vent or let out their feelings. Yeah. And he and he probably relates to them on some level as far as, you know, because, you know, they're they're little nerds Mm -hmm. and they love this geeky science stuff and they get a kick out of that. And that's probably how he was as a kid, too. I mean, isn't that how a lot of people end up as science teachers? They're just fascinated (laughs) with science. And they were he was probably a little bit nerdy, too, when he was a kid and, you know, probably just really, I think, gets those kids. And I think he just makes a great teacher. Well, he did. When they brought up the veil of shadows, he knew exactly what it was. I know that was was perfect. It was perfect. They were like, oh, yep, the Veil of Shadows. And he then gives like the definition of what that place is. And I was like, oh, Mr. Clark, you're so awesome. <laughs> what's, what's funny, so I talked about the group I played D&D with. Um, he wasn't my teacher, but the guy who always had everybody over, um, mm-hmm. he was like the guy's high school teacher that was my friend that invited me in. And like he put his whole basement into like this D&D style room where we was would go and play all day. he the dungeon master? No, he was never the dungeon oh, okay. master. He uh he was always just a a paladin, so basically it was like a goody goody two shoes. Ah. Uh, um, but yeah, it was kind of in the same boat. Like you know, you could see in like twenty years if these people kept in contact, like they would play D and D together. That's awesome. But yeah, so my number two, just kind of tacking onto yours, is really just the upside down and what kind of Mister Clark kind of showed them. Yeah, super cool, awesome. Yeah, we're definitely on the same page. That's pretty cool. So what do you have okay. for your number one? Number one. More questions. <laughs> My number one. It's like every episode we get these pieces of this huge puzzle. It's like it's like we're this huge mystery. What the hell is going on? We have all these questions. So every episode we get these little pieces. So it feels like you're getting this information and you feel like you're getting things. But then at the same time, you're also left with a lot more questions <laughs> at the same time. And that's what I think is really great about the show and how, you know, they, they give you enough to keep you watching, um, but not too much. So that way you also keep watching. Um, I think they really find that really great balance with that. And I just, I love how they structure that because they give you enough to make you feel satisfied with with what you see and glimpses but yet you're also left with more questions so you want to keep watching because you're hoping that you're going to get some answers to those so mm-hmm. it's like so did l cause this gateway or this door to the upside down to open was she the cause um you know w- with whatever experiments whether it was inadvertent i don't think she, of course she did it on purpose but was it through that experiment that you mentioned earlier you know, was she in the upside down at that time? Did she cause it to open? Was there something that happened at that facility that caused it to open? Was it a combination of things? Um, so we're left with that. Um, I was really, you know, like I said earlier, the doorway through the tree. How the hell did that get there? How I can see where that we get the one at the facility because I feel like that's kind of ground zero. Yeah. Um, but you know, like you mentioned, we had the glimpse of you know a, a view from it at um, Will's house. Um, you know, it kind of opened and then, like you said, it closed. 
Yeah, I mean, it went like, right back to being a wall. What I love about this too is like you can make assumptions and like you can make your own theories. I mean, is it, you know, is Elle basically starting because she's using her powers more? Now the Demogorgon right. slash monsters, like his powers are more. So now he can kind of like open up these gates wherever he wants inside of Hawkins and slowly expand his, uh, like his area where he can create his own gate. Mm, that makes sense. Yeah. How much power does he have? Is it, it does L help with part of that? Is she helping using her powers? Or like you said, does he, I hadn't, I guess I hadn't thought about that. That's a really good point is maybe this creature has the ability to, now that the, the main like he's kind of been unleashed. Has he maybe grown stronger? Is he able to open these up? Because it's like it, it's it's wackadoodle. It's like the the wall opens, but then goes back to a wall. The tree opens, but mm-hmm. then it goes closes up and goes back to being a tree. Um. So what's what's happening here? And it just ugh. Um, I get all these answers, um, but yet then I end up with more questions and I just really like, I like it in a way it's as much as I want to just at the, you know, at the end when it just ends and then you get credits and you're like, no, (laughs) (laughs) I need this to keep going. (laughs) What I like about it too, though, is it's not like far fetched. Like there's shows that kind of do this where it feels like the reasons you have questions because there, there's no story there. They're just mm-hmm. kind of playing it along as they go. With this, you feel like, okay, there's there's like, I know there's something happening here and there's a plan to it. Yeah. And I always like when that stuff is built that way because you feel like they're not bullshitting their way through like 10 seasons. Like this is just going to be like four seasons and they're going to have a full story, which mm-hmm. is super awesome. That's another reason I love like Netflix and Amazon doing these things because, you know, you get shows like this on network television. It's like, oh, we got to stretch this out for as long as that money bank's rolling in. You know, right. here comes season 47 of Walking Dead. <laughs> Please, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, I, I love what they're doing. I in one, in one part, it's frustrating, but in another, it's satisfying because it's like they do give you enough to kind of keep you keep you hanging, um, satisfy you a little bit, give you enough tidbits to where you feel like you're never going to get answers. However, they have that way of still... You know, you think there's enough questions out there. I mean, there's a ton of questions out there already. But then, you know, something else happens in the in, in the newest newest episode, and you even have even more questions. Like maybe something got answered from the last one, but now something else has happened. So I really like that balance, and I just feel um, that was that was my number one. Is this whole mystery and more questions that we're getting? So what's what's your number one? All right. So my number one, we've kind of touched on probably throughout all of our fives, but. I've kind of titled it like Hop's Conspiracy. Mm-hmm. So it's the same thing. We see Hop wake up and it's, you know, the, it's like, well, why didn't they kill him? And like, you know, I thought maybe they're trying to be like, hey, either he's going to think he had a bad dream or they're basically telling him like, hey, this, you know, we could have killed you. So, you know, step off a little bit. Yeah. But he goes through, he finds one bug. You know, it's probably not the only bug in his house. Mm-hmm. But, but the, boy, he he was thorough though. <laughs> oh, yeah. And like that whole cold, like you talked about in your number five, the whole cold open is him like he's, you know, like you saw him screwing some lights and instantly I know I'm like, oh, he's looking for some kind of bug or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like he goes and sees Nancy or goes and sees Joyce and is basically like, hey, you know, don't talk. And he finds a doesn't find a bug in her house. Um, but like, you know, he has this whole thing like he like he he's deep in a conspiracy theory like storyline at this point. Like, you know, and I have no, I still want to know, like, why they let him live like. You know, did they experiment on him when he passed out? Like, is he going to wake up and have like an alien burst out of his chest? He's got a microchip. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They implanted one in his noggin. Yeah. Um, But it's just like, and you see him like slowly starting to, it's almost like him and Joyce are like going down the same path now. 
Yeah. And like you could, uh, I don't know if you ever saw the movie. It was with, um, let me look to see if I can find it up real quick. It was with one of the Judds. Uh, with Ashley Judd. Yeah. I've seen a lot of her movies. Yeah. So there's a movie, um, this is from 2006. It was called Bug with Ashley Judd in it. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of like the same idea. It was this woman and a man. And this man is like freaking out. And it's actually Michael Shannon's, the the guy in it. And he's like freaking out because like they, there's a bug in my head. Like the government planted a bug. And they both basically feed off each other so much that they end up going insane. And at the end of the oh. movie, you don't know, well, were they really bugged or, or did they just go crazy? Because like they envision like helicopters coming to this hotel room and like all this crazy stuff. And oh, that's wow. really what you're seeing with this. Like Hop shows up and he's like, you know, it's in the cold open. He's just like, you were right. Like, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't Will. And in a completely different turn on this TV show, like if you could pull it back and look at just those two and be like, no, it's just these two like mourning their loss. Like, you know, he's mourning it because he was already half crazy because of his daughter. And he's mourning that another kid died on his watch. And she's mourning because her son died. And really like none of this stuff's going on. Like, yeah. That's, that's kind of the thing. It's like, well, you could play this either way. Um, but it's just like any conspiracy theory, like we talked before, like it's just, you know, some of them have just a little bit of truth to it to make you be like, well, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe there's some, some validity there. Yeah. I mean, definitely. We, we have talked about that in, in previous episodes where, you know, we found out what we used to think were conspiracies and didn't really happen, but you know, it comes out later, you know, that, yeah, that actually happened. The government did actually do these types of experiments. So it's not really, you know, we know these types of things happen. Now, of course, it's stretching in a little bit, I think, to think another portal from another dimension has opened up. I will not say <laughs> that, but it's not, it's not so far-fetched um, to, to, to think that. And it, it, it was interesting to see Hopper go, you know, full conspiracy mode because, man, he tore his trailer oh, apart. Yeah. I mean, couch cushions it. and all. Um, nothing was left, I feel, in one. I, I don't know that we got a good look of it um, after he was done, but um, I'd say his place didn't hold up too well um, after that. And I really, really love that moment whenever he was banging on Joyce's door and she thinks it's her ex-husband. Oh, yeah. And she goes and opens it, and all, all you see is is Hopper with his hand to his, or his finger to his mouth and, you know, doing like a shush thing and um, a sign that says, don't say anything. I thought that was so intense, and mm-hmm. her reaction, I think, was perfect. She's like, what the hell? You know, she's like kind of whispering, like, what? What the hell? Um, and then it's hilarious because, you know, he found his bug in a light, and he walks oh, in and yeah. sees all those Christmas lights, <laughs> and he like, just oh, makes shit. that face like, oh, my God, are you kidding me? <laughs> Put some coffee on, Joyce. I got some work to do. We've got work to do, and it's hilarious because then you do see it later, all those yeah. Christmas bulbs <laughs> on the coffee table. Yeah, my second watch through, I looked for that. It did look like every single light bulb had been taken off. Yeah, I was like, holy crap. I don't even want to know how many that was. Um, but I, th- I really thought that was a great scene and very interesting, very interesting observation as well with Hopper. I just, I love him. I talk about him every episode, but I just really, really like his character. Um, and I think David Harbour does such a great job. Yeah, uh, he's playing killing him. in this. Like it's like it seems like all these um, characters are getting more into the the root, like the more feel for their character as the show's going on. So it's pretty cool to see the progressions. Definitely, I I certainly love it, and um, it just gets better and better. So I can't wait to see him in the rest of the episodes and in season two. So. Really good number one. Do you have anything else that you want to say? I've got a couple notes, so kind of okay. not straying too far from Harper, Hopper, but as he's on the phone, um, you see the bracelet again, 
and he has it about halfway up his hand, like he's kind of holding it more than wearing it. Um, so I thought that was kind of, you know, another interesting thing. Like he's talking about his daughter, I'm assuming talking yeah. to his daughter's mom mm-hmm. and, uh, had that bracelet more like, um, in his hand instead of just wearing it. So again, maybe there's some tie there that that bracelet came from his daughter. Um, the, uh, this is probably worthy of a number, but the whole situation with Joyce and her ex-husband, mm-hmm. you know, he shows up at the end of the last episode and he's kind of, he almost seems like he's actually compassionate. It's like he just lost his kid too. He wants yeah. to be there for this family. And, you know, he, you know, steps in with uh, um, Jonathan and is like, you know, we need to be strong for your mom. Then he tells him to take down the Evil Dead poster, which I'm not a fan of taking down movie <laughs> posters, first off. So that was kind of strike one. That might have yep. been like, you know, I want to I start being a good dad, but still, it's kind of like, uh. But the part, like, I got me triggered right away is he's putting the, the wood over the uh, hole in the wall. Mm-hmm. He starts talking about the um, Sattler Company. And he's just mm-hmm. going on about how, like, you know, it's like, I went up there, there was no fence, there was no warnings, like, somebody should make them pay. Yeah. And I was like, mm, You like, knew where it was going. Yeah, I was like, I don't remember if, like, people were so happy in the 80s, but, like, that's that's what it sounds like. Well, and scam artists existed in every um, era and decade, so. I don't know, my, my great-great-great-grandpa got some, like, really good, like, snake ointment that they said, like, worked for everything. Really? Yeah. He lived to be like 32, I think, but I mean, they were a good 32 years. <laughs> but, but yeah, you see her like open up and see that. And, you know, my heart just kind of broke because it's like, like, I hate deadbeat dads to begin with. Yeah. But to swoop in, like, oh, there's going to be money here. And then to sell, like, no, Jonathan can go to any school that he wants to. And yeah. I love that Joyce throws it right back. It's like, well, what school does he want to go to? Anyone he wants to, he NYU. Since he's been six, he's wanted to go to NYU. And, you know, she's like, just get out. And again, just like a deadbeat dad, a deadbeat, you know, husband, mm-hmm. you know, a terrible person. Left his family. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, well, you can't, you know, I need to be here. You need me. And it's like, oh, dude, get the fuck out. Like, go find that tree and crawl in it and let that demigorgon eat you. I know. I'm totally with you on on that as well. I'm, you know, not all about deadbeat dads. And, you know, I think that it's awful that anybody can actually do that and um, just abandon their family. I mean, it's one thing to split up, but you don't have to not be a part of your kids' lives. And it's very clear this their dad has not been a part of their lives or had any interest you know, whatsoever in their lives. And, and it almost feels genuine when he shows up. Well, at the beginning, yeah. Like, I'm like, oh, I'm like, oh, great. Like, it's a, it's a story where somebody's trying to like, you know, get back in the good graces of like the viewer. Like, no, he's still an a-hole. Yeah. His, his true colors, we get to really kind of see, because we see it a little bit when Jonathan's like, you know, you didn't give a crap about us. And, you know, you saw glimpses of that. So why, we don't have any reason to believe otherwise, you know, between what he says and what, you know, Joyce says about him when anybody brings him up or whatever. Um, but then you think, oh, well, maybe he, he, you know, maybe here in the face of what's happened, you know, he thinks Will is dead. That maybe, you know, he's, he does have a good side, but then no, you see his true colors and, and that really sucked. Um, yeah. It's awful. Some of the parents in, in, in here, you know, they were talking about with Jonathan and Nancy um, whenever they were shooting. He was shooting the gun, and then she was shooting it, and they were mm, talking about yeah. her parents. And I thought, you know, Sean, you really nailed it, you know, as far as talking about, you know, her parents, like, you know, oh, they don't really love each other. He's kind of disinterested, you know, 80s dad that we keep calling him Ted. Um, fucking Ted. You know, <laughs> fucking Ted. <laughs> 
you know, it's, you know, it just kind of, you know, just kind of sad how she, you know, talked about that. Like, well, my mom was young. He was older. He came from a good family, had money, you know, he had a good job and they got a nice house at the end of a cul-de-sac, you know, and she seems determined like she doesn't want to do that. Um, so I, I thought that was interesting, just the different perspectives that you got to see mm-hmm. from some of the parents. And I do like that uh, Jonathan kind of calls her out on that. So I was like, oh, because they talk about Steve the D. Because now yeah. I think this should be a segment in our show is like Steve the D Steve watch. Steve the D, yeah. And, uh, you know, Jonathan's telling her, like, you know, I don't like Steve because he's a D. He's a douchebag. And, mm-hmm. you know, she's going on about like he's not that bad, blah, blah, blah. And basically Jonathan throws it back in her face like, oh, yeah, because he comes from money. You know, he's got this background. It's like, you know, maybe you guys will get a cul-de-sac or a house on the cul-de-sac, right? Yeah. Yeah, that was, that was I, th- I thought, really interesting. I liked that moment, too, uh, where she acts like she doesn't want that, but he's like, that's exactly what you're going to end up doing. Mm-hmm. You're just going through this phase, um, rebelling or whatever against your parents, and then this is really what you're going to turn out and be just like them. Um, and you brought up Steve, and that was something in my notes, too. Do you think he turned a little too fast? Um, compared to how we were first introduced in his character and and how he was in that one episode where he's kind of like, you know, lie to the cops, don't tell them about the beer, I don't get in trouble with my parents, and then all of a sudden he shows up at her house when she's pathetically swinging that bat yeah. around in her carport, um, and he shows up and he's like, I'm sorry, and, you know, I'm just like, what? Yeah, you know. I, don't, I don't know. I mean, it's high school, so maybe he is a little bit like a lovesick puppy, but... Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of one of those things, a guy like that who's probably gotten everything and anything he's ever wanted. Like, I feel like there's probably an ulterior motive. Um, like, so if we get through four seasons, at the end of the fourth season, like, I'm like, you know what? Steve the D is really a nice guy. I'm going to be pissed. <laughs> it's like, I want to marry Steve the D now. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. But yeah, I don't, um, I don't, I mean, you don't really, you don't go to some girl's house you know, when you're a guy like that, that probably can have any girl he wants. At least that's the way they sell it. Yeah. Unless you really mean it. But Exactly. Like, yeah, did kinda... he really fall for her that quick? Um, like, she really means that much to him that he would, you know, they have that fight where she's just like, you know, you're you're pathetic. You're disgusting. I'm really, truly worried about my friend. There's something going on. And you're worried about getting in trouble with the cops or your parents, you know, Um Cause that's where we last saw him. And then to see him, you know, being like sweet and apologetic. And I'm like, mm, I guess, you know, it could happen. Maybe I'm a little bit, um, jaded from past experiences. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but it all seems, men are pigs and evil people. You're all going to hell. No, <laughs> um, no, not at all. I'm certainly not. No, definitely not against all guys. And I certainly don't have that thought process. But for Steve, I do. Um, it's like it just seemed like a, a, a too quick of a turn of character. And and if, you know, has he really fallen for Nancy? I don't think we've been led to believe that he couldn't have just about any girl. He's popular. He has money. You know, he thinks himself as a ladies man that he could get any girl he wants. Why is he so worried about making up with Nancy and not making her believe that he's such a douchebag in essence? Yeah, well, he's um, got that heated pool too. And I don't know. I mean, if Steve and was like, hey, Sean, you want to come skinny dip in my heated pool in January? I'd be like, yeah, I do actually. Let's you know, do you're this. right. <laughs> a heated pool, I mean, especially in those days, I mean, and a heated pool anytime from anyone. That's pretty tempting. So mm-hmm. I might be quick to forgive <laughs> Steve the D based on his status of having um, even a jacuzzi. 
you'll get me in a jacuzzi. That's so true. Yeah. You don't have to have a whole pool. I don't need a pool. I just some nice <laughs> hot water to dip into, and I'm good. Um, but I don't know. I just thought, you know, I don't know. I didn't know how how genuine that felt, or or if he'll if or if he'll hold true to that. Will that continue, or is he gonna go back? Because I'm sorry, I can't get it out of my head. When you know when they were you know making out and then did the deed, you know in his room as Barb is disappearing outside and nobody hears her at all that he's you know she's getting ready to leave and he's like you know completely dead to the world you know he's gotten what he wants and he's just like uh whatever what's your name again yeah i got that feel too i can't i can't get that out of my head i'm sorry that's just like i'm still surprised that next day at school he wasn't like oh wait you're who but i mean he was still like hey no i'm still here like i you know (sighs) i still want to hang out i don't know he's got some work to do on my end, he's got some more redeeming to do, and he's got to he's got to walk that line, and he needs to earn some more brownie points in my book. So I was just curious what your thoughts were if you thought he turned too fast. Yeah, I don't know if there's an ulterior motive. Like maybe it is puppy love. Like I like to think it's puppy love, um, but you know, high school boys they're hard to read. Like you know, Gosh. they talk about teenage girls being like you know very emotional. It's like high school boys are just as bad. Really. Oh, yeah, I was super emotional. I had no idea. I can only speak from a girl's perspective, and, and yeah, I couldn't figure out a guy to save my life. They were very confusing. I'm like, why do you think we're so confusing? I can't figure <laughs> y'all out for shit. So maybe that's true. What other notes did you have? Uh, that was my last one, just so tying on to the Steve the D. Oh, ended on a high note, right? <laughs> so <laughs> just a few notes. I went through, I, I ended up talking about a couple of my notes while we were talking because um, you kind of hit on them um, while you were going through your top five. Um, I also will point out the Evil Dead poster in Jonathan's room. I was like, yeah, um, I'm a huge, huge fan of Evil Dead. thought that was super cool. And of course, we know that Stra- um, Stranger Things uh, for promotion for uh, season two are releasing all these super cool retro yes. posters. And they released one um, in tribute to evil dead so i know that we mentioned it on one of our other shows and i've tweeted out and i think had some on facebook as well if you guys haven't seen them already um but check out some of those posters that they're releasing they're releasing them all the way up until the premiere on october 27th um so i thought that was super cool a little callback to evil dead um another part of my note notes were whenever um mike and the rest of the boys and 11 were walking the train tracks reminded me a lot of stand by me I got that feel too, yeah. Yeah, wasn't that definitely like like the like the season was a little bit off because I think it was what wasn't it summer um, and Stand by Me that they were doing this, um, you know, looking for the body, um, but and then this is like, well, what is it like November um, here in Hawkins? So it, it was a little bit of a different uh, feel and environment. But I really thought that was super cool. Uh, we kind of got that Stand By Me feel. Um, and, of course, we know a lot. Like the prior episode uh, that was entitled The Body was like in tribute to the Stephen King um, short story called The Body, which the Stand By Me was based on. So I thought that was super cool. Um, and then I wanted to get your opinion. Part of my notes was, what did you think of the argument between the boys and Eleven with Lucas? Do you think Lucas was too hard on 11 and Mike, I thought he was kind of aggressive, but do you think he was just like, because he's grieving for Will, do you think he's just had enough of this whole, you know, um, cause he's kind of been the skeptic, but I thought he was kind of really hard and aggressive on both of them. Yeah. What he seemed, I mean, he did kind of jump on her pretty quick and I think he was probably pretty upset with, uh, um, with Mike too, mm-hmm. just that like he, I, and it's probably a little jealousy, 
Like he mm-hmm. sees Mike and like it's like his friend and like he's like, oh my gosh, like you you're in love with L, right? Like it's like he gets that feel like his friend is like giving more. F- it's not just even friendship. Like it's a like they have a friendship like love, like they love right. each other as friends. But he sees that Mike has like some other feelings towards L, like maybe she's pulling him away from the group. Mm-hmm. Like it's kind of like I remember being you know with like your your guys that were friends when like they got their first girlfriends. Like hey, you know I can't hang out this weekend, so I'm gonna go hang out with my girlfriend. Yeah, and just kind of like jealous. Yeah, because it's like, well, I don't have a girlfriend, so like, I mean, why, why don't you want to hang out with me like we used to? We're gonna play D anD D in the basement, like just us <laughs> dudes. Yeah. Oh, you want to hang out with a girl? That makes more sense. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think need to go get a girl too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it seems like it's more jealousy, and then um, you know, he was a skeptic at first, so it's probably like uh, he, you know. First off, he's taken one of my friends. Like, why? Why didn't she take another? Like, you know, it's it's her fault that uh, Will's gone, and now it's it's her fault that Mike's going to be gone. Um, I thought Elle was like super aggressive, though. I think I I was kind of figuring she'd like break up the fight, mm-hmm. but she was totally protecting Mike in that instance. Like, she threw Lucas all the way across, and yeah. I was scared. Like, I thought like maybe Lucas was you know unconscious, and when he woke up, he was like done. He was like, no, screw you guys, I'm going home. Mm-hmm. And then L disappears too. We didn't even talk about that part, but like, where'd L end up going? Yeah, yeah. There's so much that we did not get to. There's so much to dissect that we could be here forever. Um, but yeah, we we don't know what where L went. Um, how fed up is Lucas? Is he gonna come back? And what you know, what does happen next? But I was curious your thoughts on. Um, I just thought he was a, a really aggressive, getting up in Elle's face, yelling at her. He kind of slapped Mike away, um, or pushed him. And I thought, man, you know, we don't have to get all handsy here. You know, it's it's express yourself and stuff, but you don't have to get all handsy. Um, yeah, because like they Mama seem says, a... keep your hands to yourself. Yeah, you know? when they seem a little <laughs> young for that kind of, I always feel like. Like when you're 15 or 16, like it always seems like you get in that tussle with one of your friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and it seems like they're a little young for that, but I mean, they are going through a pretty stressful situation. So maybe it's just kind of all that just kind of exploding. And it's like, this is what they're doing to get those emotions out. Yeah. Well, probably that. And I mean, it, it might, I mean, I was not a young boy. I hung out with boys um, and I saw some boy fights. That's for sure. Um, but I feel like they are kind of going through that puberty kind of, you know, and that's probably a whole swing of emotions, um, you know, as much for boys as it is for girls. And there might be some spikes of testosterone and, of course, the stressful situation because I don't know how much, you know, I think he, he knows and thinks that they're looking for Will, but I don't know how much he really believes in, in what they're doing because mm-hmm. he still seems so skeptical about everything, which is fine. You know, I totally get, I think that that's interesting that they're not all in agreement all the time. But I think that he's just still hanging on to that, and he's still kind of skept- skeptical of the whole thing, and he's definitely still not a friend of a friend to Eleven at all. Well, and at this point too, we don't know the extent of Elle's powers. Like maybe they're like each of the guys is feeding off of Elle somehow, mm-hmm. and like their emotions are being intensified by Elle. Like we mm-hmm. don't know that. That's true. Well, I think they're probably a little bit intensified with Mike because I think what he said rang true. I think Mike does have a bit of a crush on her mm-hmm. and is protective of her because of that. Um, so I think that part that Lucas was saying was true, but I still think I just thought he was just a little aggressive. But I thought, well, if he's grieving for Will, like if he, you know, like I said, I don't know how much he believes in what they're doing, and if he is really kind of grieving for Will or just the whole stress of the situation and everything, everything that they've been through. 
I guess that would make sense because we all kind of react differently to that. So mm. I thought that was interesting. So that's about all the notes I had. We, we pretty much touched on the rest of my notes throughout the podcast. So if we don't have any other notes to talk about, we can get into news for Stranger Things. John, do you want to start out? Yeah. So our first news article comes from Entertainment Weekly. So the internet let out a collective a collective gasp when Ross Duffer, co-creator of Stranger Things with his brother Matt, told the New York Times mag- or the New York Magazine there would only be four seasons of the Netflix hit. We're thinking it'll be a four-season thing and then out, Ross told the magazine. But now the Duffers and executive producer Sean Levy tell EW that there's a good chance that we will go past that timeline, but not by much. Yes, we've got like at least five seasons, Rima. (laughs) (laughs) So hearts were heard breaking in Netflix headquarters when the brothers made four seasons sound like an official in. And I was suddenly getting phone calls from our actors' agents, said Levy. The truth is, we're definitely going four seasons. There's very much the possibility of a fifth. Beyond that, it becomes a thing very unlikely. The Duffer brothers just want to make sure they don't wear out their welcome or credibility. It's not wrapped up this season, says Ross. I think season two will be a satisfying end, but there's still danger out there. There's too much to deal with in one more season. If we're able to, there will be at least four. There could be more. I think there's going to come a point where why aren't these people leaving Hawkins? Like, we're going to stretch credibility. It wasn't intended to be a seven-season thing. Adds Matt, adds Matt, it's not built to sustain that as a narrative. After it became successful, we had one of those big meetings with Netflix over dinner, and they were like, we don't want this thing going on that long, that we're very supportive of it. It's stupid to put an end date on it right now because we don't know. Which kind of like I said, I like the idea that they don't want to stretch this into like a 20-year thing. Yeah. Well, and I think that shows do better when they know that there's an end date. Like if they know we're only going to do X amount of seasons, they can write towards that. Mm-hmm. You know, you I mean, get look rid at of the fluff for sure. Yeah. I mean, look at Lost. I mean, I love that show so so much, but I I feel like before they knew there was an end date. And please, people don't write me and bitch about the ending because it I don't. Was, wanna, yeah. I really don't want to hear it. Um, I I. I will not give my opinion, but I just, I'm just not going to go there. But, um, you know, b- before they realized where they were going with it, because I thought it was, you know, I thought they were able to at least wrap a lot of things up at least, and, and at least it, it they were able to get to a point. Now with Breaking Bad, you know, Vince Gilligan was like, this is how many seasons we're doing, and that's it. This is the story that we're telling, and he wrote towards that. Like, he had very clear direction you know i don't think amc was probably very happy because i mean breaking bad was absolutely huge um big money maker for them um so i'm sure they would have loved for it to carry on but he's like this is the story that we have to tell and they wrote to that and it was like one of the best damn shows on tv um so i you know if they if they have that ending in mind and they know they've looked far enough ahead to say this is how many seasons we need to tell our story and they're writing towards that, I think it will continue to be a great show. If they're just writing for writing's sake to keep it on the air and, and try to be successful, I think it just gets lost and you lose it. Um, and then you want them to wrap it up. And I think, you know, not to get off on too much of a tangent, but Walking Dead needs to be wrapping it yeah. up soon. <laughs> well, I, I don't know if you read comics too much, but it really feels like comic books fall into that kind of category. Yeah. Where you have a writer and they're writing this big long story and they go for like twenty issues and it's like, oh well I'm getting off this project in two more issues and then it just ends. And it's kinda like, yeah. oh, I had this big like it's kinda like, you know, the foreplay was amazing, but the actual action was pretty bad. Mm-hmm. Kind of a letdown. Yeah, exactly. That's kinda what you get with some of these shows, like it's just, you know, 
goes on, goes on, goes on, goes on, then just ends. And you're just kind of like, oh, that was like, I, I feel dirty now. Yeah. I don't even feel satisfied. I feel, I feel used. And yeah, <laughs> no, no satisfaction whatsoever. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll be interested to see um, where they, where they go, how far they go with it. Um, Cause kids are going to grow. It's hard to do it with kids, yeah. man. They grow and it's hard to, uh, you know, it's just hard, difficult when you got kids. So it's like I'm going to go to Hawkins University. Why? <laughs> right. Is this Nothing small town? good happens here. Hawkins Community College. <laughs> Home of the oh, Demogorgons. <laughs> oh man. Okay, so the next article that we have is also from Entertainment Weekly, and just a little bit of a warning um, for anyone, if you haven't already watched um, all of season one and you don't want to know anything about season two, this is not, no specific spoilers because I don't like to do spoilers, but you might consider it just a little spoilery. So if you don't want to hear this next one, the next article is kind of similar. It's just a little sprinkle of season two. Um, please feel free to skip ahead. So this article is from Entertainment Weekly, and it says, During the first season of Stranger Things, Eleven, uh, played by Millie Bobby Brown, was a young gal of few words. But for Stranger Things 2, she's increasing her vocabulary just a little bit. I didn't have much more vocabulary, but the things I did have to say were really fun, says Brown. <laughs> There's one curse word this season, which was really different and funny. We predict a burnt ego leads to an F-bomb meltdown. (laughs) Could the newfound profanity be due to some growing pains? She says it's more of a coming of age of her storyline. She's learning to be a normal teenager, and she never had a normal childhood. A big thing for her is to come into a world where she not only has powers, but she has teenage issues. It's something that I'm going through right now, so it's also pretty relatable. Episode 7 of Things 2 will actually be its own 11-centric installment. Hmm. Series creator the Duffer Brothers said they wanted to give Brown a storyline worthy of her young talents. Says Ross Duffer, We discovered while filming Season 1 how amazing Millie was. We knew she was great, but we didn't know she was that great. We wanted to give her a really interesting arc this season that's different than just playing a fish out of water. So we get to see a lot of range out of her, which is great. I agree. She's pretty fantastic. Yeah, I think she does a great... Like, it's kind of like the like the subtleties of what she does, which I think is pretty awesome. Because like you said, she doesn't have that many lines, but she mm-hmm. kind of plays on on her, uh, her like, nonverbal acting. Yeah, you can read a lot in her words and just in the subtleties in her facial expressions in her... I said her words. I meant her eyes. Um, you can read a lot in her eyes and just the subtleties of her facial expressions. I think she's uber talented and I just love her. So our last story from Entertainment Weekly, also this is kind of spoilery for, uh, so if you want to skip ahead, just kind of hit that speed button a couple times. So when Stranger Things 2 premieres October 27th on Netflix, fans are in a bit of a shock for the first minutes. The opening of the sequel takes place in a completely different city than the main location of Hawkins, Indiana, and that's all we can say. I liked opening the show in a place not in Hawkins in an urban environment, teases Matt Duffer. I want people thinking maybe they've checked on the they've clicked on the show and then boom, you realize, oh, now we're still in it. But it's all about broadening, expanding our world. Adds his co-creator and brother Ross, we have all these different threads and you don't see how possibly all these things could come together and then slowly but surely they all play an integral role in the story this season. So this week's Entertainment Weekly features exclusive new details on the return of Stranger Things, including why the Duffer Brothers want to consider it a sequel to a widely popular first season instead of simply season two. 
When we started describing it as a sequel, Netflix was like, don't do that because sequels are known to be bad, says Matt. I was like, yes, but what about T2 and Aliens and Toy Story 2 and Godfather 2? <laughs> he adds, the good news is that a lot of what we wanted to see or what we responded to, that seems to be what the audience responded to. Like, we fell in love with Gaten, and there were aspects like Barb played in season one by Shannon Purser we were already planning to deal with. It felt like there was a nice alignment between what we wanted to see and what other people wanted to see. So Stranger Things 2, Rima, it comes back on October 27th. Cannot wait. And tentatively, we are planning on actually releasing a review of the first episode on that day. So as long as everything plays out like it should, yep, you should have one that, that afternoon. So you get to sit down, watch it when you get back from work, and you can hear Rima and I talk about it. Yeah, because everybody wants to hear what we have to say, right? <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> That's going to be their priority. <laughs> Gosh damn it. What did they think about it? I got to hear it now. I can't wait. <laughs> okay. Um, so we have a little bit of uh, listener feedback uh, from the Upside Down. So first up, we have Andrew Newton, who says, Interesting how Benny was straight up murdered by the agents, but in the case of Hopper, he's been sent back to his home and bugged. I can only imagine they don't want to draw suspicion by having another missing slash dead person, especially when that person is the town's police chief. They also might not be sure if he's working with others, which could be damning for them if they acted rash. I'm with you, Andrew. Good thoughts. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point. Like, yeah, it's, I still wonder why they left him alive. Yep. Uh, so Wendy Ott Eppers, just a few minutes in and wow, Jim Harper went full badass this episode. <laughs> At the funeral scene, I recognized the same song that was used in the locker scene of Pretty in Pink. I don't know why I remember these things. <laughs> We're glad you do, Wendy. <laughs> We're glad you do. Share them with us always. Um, we also have um, our first email from a listener, so this is pretty awesome. Um, this listener um, is anonymous. They wrote, Hello, Rima and Sean. For a while now, I've been overweight. But a couple months ago, I decided to take action and start making better health decisions, such as eating healthier and exercising more. In regards to the exercise part, I've been walking my dog and running a lot more than usual, and as listening to music all the time can get tiring, I started looking for podcasts to listen to. Recently, I found Strange Indeed, a Stranger Things podcast, and in addition to providing me with entertainment, it also helps satisfy my desire for all things Hawkins, Indiana. So thanks to your guys' contribution, I'm already down 20 pounds. I love the podcast, and I'm so hyped for season two. Yeah, I saw wow. that email. That's awesome. Yeah, congratulations on the, the exercising, the weight loss, and you know, I'm Glad that, you know, maybe it's what he hears us talking. He's like, oh, I got to run even quicker to get away from him. <laughs> no, shut up, shut up. <laughs> yeah, um, I read this email and I'm going to be perfectly honest. I'm, I'm so happy I was able to read it and not be emotional because when I read the email and saw it and, and was adding it to the feedback, um, I got emotional. So I want to thank you so much, listener, for sharing that uh, with us and sharing that story and allowing us to be a part of your journey. Um, and if we've helped to contribute to that in any way by giving you that motivation to run, whether it's running away from us or <laughs> <laughs> like John said. Um, but I, I really, I really love that. And I can, I, I really feel, feel that, um, I, and I know Sean does as well, like to, you know, try and live a healthy lifestyle and, 
if that encourages you to be more healthy, it's not about what you look like. It's about how you feel. So if we're able to help you with part of that journey, we're very excited to be a part of that with you. And thanks for sharing. Um, and keep us updated on your progress. Yeah, we'd love to hear how, how you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. So keep emailing us. Um, I'm, I, I love that. So thank you so much for sharing. Thank you to all the listeners that have shared their feedback and take the time. You know, it's one thing to sit and listen to a podcast and, and maybe have your own internal thoughts, but we really appreciate everyone that takes it to the next level and takes the time to either reach out to us on Twitter or on Facebook or on email you know, and lets us know either how we're doing. Do you love us? Do you hate us? You can tell us, I can maybe take it. I might have to drink a little bit more that week <laughs> if you tell me something negative, but I promise I can take it. Um, so we appreciate all the feedback and, and the time because um, it's one thing to listen and show us love that way, but it's also taking it to the next level and actually telling us um, and giving us the feedback on the shows. So thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks everybody. All right, so for next week, we will be covering the sixth episode from Season 1 titled Chapter 6, The Monster. The description for this episode is Hopper and Joyce find the truth about the lab's experiments. After their fight, the boys look for the missing 11. Mm, so much and so little at the yeah, same time. <laughs> so we know that the boys fight, and then they look for the 11 that was missing. We already knew that. Show yeah, notes. I know. Don't you just love how they just tell you nothing at all <laughs> they're like here have this gift and it's not a gift you want to you want to re-gift it because it's not a gift <laughs> here take it back <laughs> take it back where's the receipt for this thing um so we're really excited for you to travel to hawkins indiana with us and until then you can follow us on twitter at strange t cast you can like us on facebook at www.facebook.com stranger t cast you can email us at strangerthingscastpod at gmail.com. And you can also find us on the TV Time app. You can find Strange Deed and a bunch of other great podcasts like the Walking Dead cast at podcastica.com. Go out and leave a review for Strange Indeed or any of the other great podcastica podcasts on Apple Podcast. Yeah, check those out. Um, also, make sure to check out Sean on his other podcast, yeah. The Language of Bromance, and that comes out every Sunday. There's a huge back catalog on that, so start wherever you like, and yeah, just it's, it's a fun Jump show. Jump in. It's super fun. All right, well, that's our show, Episode 5, Chapter 5, The Flea and the Acrobat. Until next time, I'm Rena. And I'm Sean. And Jose Estrada is strange indeed. What was Bill saying? Like home, like home, but dark and empty. Empty and cold. Wait, did he say cold? I don't know. The stupid radio kept going in and out. It's like riddles in the dark. Like home, like his house, or maybe like Hawkins. Upside down.